0: In 2008, my brother uh, retired from a 20-year career in the Air Force, and when he went in in 1988, he was telling this story of how on his way to basic training, the people had just drilled into him over and over and over again that now you are a member of the United States Air Force, and that means everything from here on out is yes ma'am, yes sir, everybody you meet, yes ma'am, yes sir, no matter who it is or where you're at, it is yes ma'am and yes sir from here on out, and so he got to the the bus station to take him from Norfolk to Omaha, and the lady at the counter at the bus station was a female, so my brother said, yes ma'am, yes ma'am. The bus driver was a female, so yes ma'am, yes ma'am. He got to the airport, ticket counter was a lady again, the flight attendants on the plane, all yes ma'am, yes ma'am. The bus from the airport to basic training in San Antonio, Texas was yes ma'am, yes ma'am, and he got basic training, standing in line with all of these new recruits, and the drill sergeant was in front of him and was yelling and screaming and telling them what this was going to be like, and the drill sergeant said, is that understood? And they said, sir, yes, sir, except for my brother, who said, yes, ma'am. <laughs> and my brother said the drill sergeant lost his mind. He said he got in his face, literally ripped his shirt off. And started screaming and yelling at him. And then from the rest that day forward in the rest of basic training, my brother was known as his sweetheart. <laughs> and so he'd say, Oh, we gotta get haircuts. Where's my sweetheart? Sweetheart, you go first. Oh, we got a 10-mile run. Who's gonna lead the oh, where's my sweetheart? Sweetheart, come here. And He did this all through basic training. And my brother said he got to the end and we went down for his graduation, and this drill sergeant came up to him after graduation and he said, Hey, you know you need to know that I had to do that, right? And my brother said, yes, sir. <laughs> and he said, no, but he said, you understand, right? Like, when you said that I know you didn't mean it, I know it was a mistake, but he said there was a handful of guys in line that began to snicker. And he said, if, if I hadn't done that to you, I would have lost everyone's respect and all of my authority. And he said, the reality is, during these last few weeks, I, I needed to keep your attention. I needed to, to have you guys listen to me because I needed to tell you things that you needed to know to be who you have to be. We're going to start a new series this morning here at Journey, minor prophets with a major message, messages from the minor prophets. And we're going to be walking through six of the minor prophets leading up into Easter. And each week we're going to focus on a different minor prophet. And these are in the Old Testament. They're not Overly familiar books and stories to many of us, but we're going to focus on one prophet every week, his story and his message. And one thing that you're going to notice throughout all of this series is that the major theme of all of these prophets is restoration. That The major theme of every prophet, every minor prophet in the Old Testament is restoration, God restoring his people. But what you're going to see is oftentimes their message... It, it seems kind of like my brother's drill sergeant. It's hard to hear. It's a little bit loud. And honestly, sometimes it's kind of violent. But all of it is under this umbrella of getting God's people, getting us to listen so that you and I can be restored to who God created us to be. Now this morning we're going to begin in the book of the prophet Micah. And Micah's story is a whirlwind of emotion and teachings and it kind of goes here and here and everywhere, but it starts out with Micah very loudly proclaiming judgment on God's followers, Israel and Judah. He, he speaks of a punishment that God's people richly deserve. He, he speaks of a justice that's coming from God against the wickedness of mankind. The, the first few chapters of Micah, are pretty hopeless. Uh, they're they're pretty hard to hear. It's kind of like a drill sergeant yelling in your face. Then Micah transitions in the middle of the book to tell us that all is not hopeless, that all is not lost. He he gives us and God's people this glimmer of hope as he speaks of a hero, a a rescuer that will come and fulfill God's promise to restore his people, a rescuer who will come and bring peace to all mankind. And then he ends the book of Micah by telling God's people how to respond. He, He shows us where our hope is to be found and he encourages us to trust. Micah is really a book of three messages. It's three messages for God's people back then, and and three messages for us today. And we're going to jump around and kind of hit the highlights of Micah. It's seven chapters long. I'm not going to read all of it to you this morning. I know some of you were hoping for that. But Micah begins in chapter one with his first message, and it is a warning Micah's first message is a warning that judgment is coming. In chapter 1, starting in verse 2, he says, Hear you peoples, all of you. Listen, earth and all who live in it, that the sovereign Lord may bear witness against you. The Lord from his holy temple, he says, Look, the Lord is coming from his dwelling place. He comes down, he treads on the heights of the earth. The mountains will melt beneath him. The valleys will split apart like wax before the fire, like water rushing down a slope. And all of this will be because of Jacob's transgression because of the sins of God's people, because of the sins of the people of Israel. If you skip over to chapter 3, Micah says, listen, you leaders of Jacob, you rulers of Israel, listen, God's people. Should you not embrace justice, you who hate good and love evil, who tear the skin from my people and the flesh from their bones, who eat my people's flesh, who strip off their skin and break their bones in pieces, who chop them up like meat for the pan, like flesh for the pot? I told you it wasn't overly pleasant. He says, then they will cry out to the Lord, but he won't answer them. At that time, God will hide his face from them because of the evil they've done. This is what the Lord says, As for the prophets who have led my people astray, they proclaim peace if they have something to eat, but prepare to wage war against anyone who refuses to feed them. Therefore night will come over you without visions, darkness without divination. The sun will set for the prophets, and the day will go dark. The seers will be ashamed, the diviners disgraced. They will cover their faces because there is no answer from God. Happy Sunday. <laughs> See, the nation of Israel, God's people, they have not learned from their history. This isn't the first time that God has pronounced judgment over God's people. This isn't the first time that he's warned them. It isn't the first time that he's told them to get their act together. It's, it's, it's been a lot of times. And throughout the nation of Israel, God's people, they never learned from their history. The people of God throughout history had repeated the same sins over and over and over and over again. They wandered from God over and over and over again. He would rescue them and bring them back and they'd wander again. And yet somehow, even though they repeated the same sins over and over again, they thought that they would avoid the same consequences. Now some... Some maybe would say that the people of God today still do the same thing. There was judgment and punishment that was coming of an eternal nature, but Micah tells them there's, there's punishment that's going to happen right now because of what you're doing. He says there's judgment and punishment that's already happening because of the sins that you're committing. There are natural consequences to walking away and living apart from God on top of an eternal judgment that's coming later. Israel had already lost their land. They had been put back into captivity, not for the first time. They were experiencing the consequences of choosing to follow other gods. And not surrendering to the God of Israel. They were experiencing real life consequences because of the poor choices they were making. And some, some might say that the people of God today experience the same thing. Now, don't miss this this morning. Micah reminds us of a very simple truth in this first message. It's a truth that I think we often forget that we don't want to talk about. And that truth is this, is that judgment from God begins in the house of God. It begins in the family of God, the people who are supposed to be following God. See, God does not give wickedness a pass. He is a God of justice. He, he cannot overlook or ignore or turn a blind eye towards sin and evil. God always has to punish sin because of who he is. And and what's happening in Micah's time is that that God's people have forgotten who God is. They've forgotten his holy character and the terms of their covenant, their relationship that they've made with him. They have a false confidence in Micah's day because of who they are and where they've come from. The discussion for the people of God in Micah's day always begins with, well, yeah, but since we're Jews like however you start the conversation about sin and evil and walking away from God it always the sentence always ends with well yeah but we're God's people like what about how far you've wandered from God well well yeah but but we're Jews well, what about the fact that you're worshipping other gods you're not even worshipping God the father well well yeah but but we're sons of Abraham What about the fact that your life in no way indicates that you're following God in any capacity? Well, yeah, but we're God's people. And the list could go on and on and on, but the question becomes for you and I this morning is, are we any different? Now, I'm guessing, I don't know all of you, but I'm guessing most of us in the room don't go, yeah, but I'm Jewish. I'm guessing that's most of us. If you do, and you're not Jewish, we can have that conversation. But we say other things, don't we? What about how far you've wandered from God? Well, yeah, but I go to church every week. Well, what about the fact that you have other things in your life that are more important than God? Well, yeah, but I'm a Christian. Everybody knows that. Well, what about the fact that your life in no way indicates that you're following God in any capacity. Well, yeah, but I was baptized when I was in high school. I'm good. See, that list could go on and on too, couldn't it? Or is it just me? (laughs) See, the reality is we're all in the same boat as Israel in the book of Micah. We are people who have wandered from God. We've been taken captive by sin, and we're facing a judgment that you and I do not have an answer for on our own. See, The people in Micah's day were willing to profess their faith, they just weren't willing to live it. They were willing to profess what they believed, they just weren't able or willing to practice it. In Titus chapter 1, Paul said, there is a people they claim to know God, but by their actions they deny Him. They're detestable, they're disobedient, they're unfit for doing anything good. And Micah has a warning for us. He says, if you're a follower of God, you can't live that way. You can't live that way. But we're also like Israel in this. We're given a promise. See, Micah yells and he screams and he gets their attention and he says, but hope is not lost. He says, you're incapable of forgiving your sin. You're incapable of getting out of this on your own. But there is a hero coming In chapter 4 of Micah, he says, In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established. At the highest of the mountains, it will be exalted above the hills, and people will stream to it. They will run to it. Many nations will come and say, Let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his way so that we can walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between many peoples. He will settle disputes for strong nations far and wide. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will take up sword against nation nation will not take up sword against nation nor will they train for war anymore in other words there's a hero coming who will bring peace forever And he says everyone will sit under their own vine and under their own fig tree and no one will make them afraid anymore for the lord almighty has spoken and all the nations may walk in the name of their gods but we will walk in the name of the lord our god forever and ever Micah tells them that things are going to get really bad. And they're going to get bad because we live in a fallen world and because of the sins of us. But he says there's a hero who's coming. There's a hero who's coming who will lead us out of captivity just like Moses led them out of Egypt into the promised land. Bible commentator Warren Wiersbe says this, he says the the situation of of these two Jewish kingdoms that are spoken of in the book of Micah was hopeless when Micah delivered these messages. He said Assyria was about to pounce on Israel and put an end to that nation, and then the Assyrian army would ravage Judah and almost take Jerusalem. When the outlook is grim, he says, maybe it's time we start the uplook. He says Thus, Micah encouraged the people to look ahead to what God had promised for his chosen people. When the things around us don't look so good, maybe it's time to look up instead of out. See, God had promised and still promises his people that there is a king who will come, who will reign to the ends of the earth And he will bring peace to all nations. And that same king came and died on a cross and rose from the dead to bring victory over sin and death. And that same king will return and restore all things. That hero came to die for your sins and for mine. And that hero is coming again to restore all things for his glory. And his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus, light of the world. Forever in His name. See, in in Micah's day, the people of God had lost sight of God. They'd lost sight of God's promise of a rescuer. They'd stopped placing their hope in a coming Messiah, in the promises of God, and they had started placing their hope in other things. They said, maybe our hope is in the government to fix all of this. The people in Micah's day said, maybe the people around us, maybe our culture will get it and we can can do this together. They even began to say, maybe I'll fix it. Maybe I can trust in my own wisdom. And none of it worked. And some, some might say that the people of God do the same thing today. Church, can I gently ask you a question this morning that's convicting to me? What promise are you placing your hope in today? What promises do you believe in that do not come from God? Is your hope in the government or the people around you or your own wisdom? Because it will not work. Micah knew. Micah knew what you and I need to know today. God will never go back on his promises. See, the people of God may not always be true to God. God but God is always true to his people. Let me say that one more time. That's real important. The people of God may not always be true to God, but God is always true to his people. One of my favorite verses in all of Scripture is in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, where Paul says, no matter how many promises God has made, They are yes in Jesus. And so through him, the amen, let it be so, is spoken by us to the glory of God. Every promise that God has ever made finds its yes in the hero named Jesus. And Micah tells his people that we have to believe that. That we have to know that there's hope See, Micah gives us a warning. It's it's very clear. But Micah says, don't focus on that. Remember the promise. And then because of that promise, Micah gives you and I a challenge. He says, so trust the Lord right now. Trust Jesus today. See, whenever a prophet like Micah in the Old Testament foretold the future, when he told people what was coming, when he kind of scared them like he does here, the purpose was to awaken the people. It was to awaken them to the reality and the present and to their responsibility to respond. Micah isn't just yelling and screaming to get attention. He's doing it because their lives are at stake. And Micah says that if you believe that promise, if you trust in who that is, then you have to do that now. In Micah chapter 6, this is what he says. He says, with what shall I come before the Lord? How, how do I respond to this? He says, what, what can I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or with 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Could I offer even my firstborn for my transgression, for, for my body of sin of my soul? And Micah says, no, he's shown you already. He's shown you, O oh mortal. He's shown you, O oh human, what is good. What does God require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. See, Micah reminds us that you and I are called to, be, to, to do more than just go through the religious motions. We're, we're called to do more than just check a box on a piece of paper, Checking boxes is not the same as a personal, worshiping, trusting relationship with Jesus. See, see, checking the religious box and following the religious crowd, anybody can do that. Anybody can do that. You and I are called to place our entire trust and our entire life in Jesus. That requires devotion and obedience and prayer and surrender. Jesus said in John chapter 4 that a time was coming and has already now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for that's the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. Warren Wearsby said it this way. He said, our future hope ought to produce a present holiness. In chapter 7, Starting in verse seven, Micah said, "As for me, I will watch in hope for the Lord. I will wait for God my Savior. my God will hear me." He says, "Do not gloat over me, my enemy, though I've fallen because I will rise." Though I sit in darkness, God will be my light. Because I have sinned against him, I will bear the Lord's wrath until he pleads my case and upholds my cause. He will bring me out into the light and I will see his righteousness. And then my enemy will see it and will be covered with shame. She who said to me, where's the Lord your God? Well, my eyes will see her downfall. Even now, she will be trampled underfoot like mire in the streets. Micah says the whole world around me can be in chaos. My enemies can think they've won, and my life can just be horrible. But it'll be fine, because I trust in Jesus who will bring me victory. Micah says I trust in the king who will come. Folks, the entire Bible is about this truth. (laughs) The entire Bible is about this truth that a king will come. And our lives are supposed to be all about trusting in that. And here's the deal. It's, it's all an act of God anyway. Like all the things that Micah tells us to do as followers of God, we can't do on our own anyway. You and I, we, we can act justly, but only because we've already been justified. By our faith in Romans chapter 5, Paul said since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ through whom we have gained access by faith and it is grace in which we now stand and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. We act justly because Jesus already justified us. We can love mercy and show mercy but only because we've already personally received and experienced mercy from God. In Ephesians 2, Paul said, because of God's great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Jesus, even when we were dead in our sins. It's by his grace that we've been saved. It's by his mercy that we've been forgiven. You and I can walk humbly with God, but it's only because we have already first bowed in humility before God, confessing our sins. James chapter 4 said, humble yourselves before God and he will lift you up. See the message of Micah is that he fearlessly tells the people of God about their sins. He warns them of a judgment that's coming. And there were all kinds of false prophets in Micah's day who told the people what they wanted to hear. Told them, oh, "It'll be fine. Don't worry about it." And in that moment, that sounds good, doesn't it? Like in that moment, that's what we think we want to hear. In that moment, I'd rather somebody just say, I don't worry about it, live however you want. But church, that's not the message that will bring us life. As the band comes this morning, it reminds me of my brother. I'm sure on that day, (laughs) my brother would tell you he would have much rather the guy said, oh, that's pretty funny, don't do it again. He probably would have rather hood, hey, don't worry about it. I get called ma'am all the time. He probably would have rather heard, hey, it's no big deal. But the reality was he was about to enter into something that was going to train him to be the kind of person that could save other people's lives. He was going to be trained for something that most of us, a lot of us, don't know anything about. And he needed to hear from somebody who knew what was going on and needed to make sure he got it right. The reality was he needed to hear a message in a way that would save his life. See, Micah was a prophet of three messages, but they're all the same thing. They're all the same thing. The warning, the promise, the challenge, they're all the same. It's the restoration of God's people. Micah yells and screams and warns because he wants us to understand who we're supposed to be. Micah promises. us, he reminds us of the promise of Jesus because he wants us to know that we can be restored. And Micah challenges us to trust in Jesus because it's the only way we will ever find life. At the end of the book, chapter 7, verse 18, Micah says, Who is a God like you? Who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance. He says, you don't don't stay angry forever. You delight. God, you delight to show mercy. God, you will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot. You will hurl all of our iniquities, all of our failures into the depths of the sea. You will be faithful to Jacob and show your love to Abraham, to God's people, as you pledged, as you promised, on oath to our ancestors in days long ago. Church, the message of Micah for you and I this morning is that no matter what your life looks like, it can be restored. We just have to wake up. We have to believe that God's promises are always true and that they are found in Jesus. And we have to trust him no matter how dark the day One more for more in Wiersbe as we close. The Bible commentator says this. He says, remember, no matter how dark the day, the light of God's promises is still shining. No matter how confusing or frightening our circumstances, the character of God remains the same. And you have every reason to trust him. Let's stand and worship that God this morning.